What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, and I am just lit up today. Excited to be with you, excited to share. Been waiting to record this episode for a really long time, and so it's great to finally have the opportunity to do it and to, to share this with you. You know, um, I posted recently, a few weeks ago now, about this whole concept of fundraising your salary. And so we're going to get into some fundraising your salary stuff today, compare some profits versus nonprofits and all that kind of stuff. And so I have a general outline of some notes I took, especially after seeing um, a lot of the responses and stuff that I got on social media. I got a lot of responses on this on social media, which I'm excited to dive into. I'm not going to read any of them. I don't even have social media. I don't have Instagram pulled up today, so I'm just going to be talking to you. But uh, we're going to get into this topic. First and foremost, I'd like to encourage you to join us on Locals if you have not yet. You've heard me talk about it, obviously, in the past. Uh, you know, we have the goal of getting to 100 Locals members by the end of September. Would love to get to 20 supporters by the end of September. So you can join us as a supporter for as little as $10 a month. Um, and we're about to start doing our supporter-only book club. We're going to be going through a surprise book that I'm going to be sending out to all the supporters. So they're going to get the book uh, mailed to them from me, and along with a couple other swag things. So if you join at $10, you get one uh, gift. If you join at 25 you get two gifts. 50 or higher is going to get three gifts, and we're going to have some fun here um, coming up. So I'm very excited for that. So I encourage you to join us on Locals, seekingexcellence.locals.com. You can find the link below. You can also subscribe on YouTube. I'd encourage you to leave us a review, share this episode if it's something you find worthwhile and beneficial. And so this is going to be a fun conversation. And in some of this, I just want to kind of, you know, preface this by saying that I'm not just saying, like, I'm not just talking about this just to be a troll, right? I think sometimes when I brought this up, people get kind of pissed off. And, and I think I almost felt like I was onto something because so many people, especially trusted and people I love, uh, trusted people got very... Uh, uptight about it, if you will. So I had a lot of people kind of just asking me like, why are you even talking about this? Why are you going on about this? You're going to piss people off. You're going to piss people off in Denver, especially because, you know, we're at the headquarters of Focus here in Denver. And I just want to give that disclaimer that I'm not doing this just to kind of troll it and to make people mad. I'm doing this because I think that this approach to ministry needs some reform. And I, I, I don't plan to talk about company by company there's going to be certain things that I might say that will make you think of a specific organization, but I'm not here to uh, degrade any specific company. I've benefited from many of the organizations where people fundraise their salary. I had great focus missionaries in college. I applied to be a culture project missionary at one point. I never thought I was going to do it really, but I felt like people kept telling me to do it. So I applied, went on an interview weekend, met one of my best friends in the world, Lucas Walschlager. Shout out to Lucas. Met him on that weekend, and we were best friends now. And, and so uh, great things came from that. My wife was a Culture Project missionary. I've got a bunch of friends who have done NET, who have done Christ in the City, who have done other things where you just have to fundraise your salary. And so I'm not, I'm not on principle against it. I don't think it's inherently wrong. I think there's problems with a lot of the systems and ways people are currently doing it. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And we're also, more importantly, in a sense, going to talk about some of the mindset, because this is a theme, you know, next week, I'm going to be coming out with an episode on another theme of something that I was posting about on social media recently. Um, so we had this, you know, uh, New York Times post slash article a couple weeks ago that talked about how so many young people can't afford rent, they can't afford a mortgage. And then they kind of go through and they interview these young 
uh, young folk and they're talking about how they're gender studies majors or cat therapists, or all these kind of random ass um, careers. And they've racked up college debt naturally to get these degrees and they don't know how much money they're going to make or they know how much money they're going to make. They don't care. And then they also want to live in San Francisco and New York City and Washington, D.C. And then it's like, yeah, you're setting yourself up to be poor. Now, I do think there's an aspect of that, too, where I want to warn a lot of young people. I want to talk to young people about this. And I want them to know, first and foremost, most primarily, my, my mission and my goal with this for young people is, man, this isn't the only route to holiness. Being a missionary, working for a nonprofit in general, not your only route to holiness. And so if you listen to last week's episode, so last Monday I talked, I, I shared a recording of a talk that I gave at a Theology on Tap recently for St. Mark's in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. And so I got to do that Theology on Tap and I talked about uh, capitalism and I talked about how we ought to be promoters of capitalism. One of the main reasons why we ought to be promoters of capitalism is that it is the best system, the best path that we've ever seen in the history of the world for eliminating poverty. And it raises people up. And I think a common misconception that we have in today's world is that, and one of my, my issues that I have, this is one of my fundamental uh, problems with the way that we approach profits, nonprofits, et cetera, is, and I've done this recently, right? I, I might've mentioned this in the talk last week. I can't remember, but in every one-on-one call that I had, and you're going to think that I'm a nutcase for doing this and I am a nutcase, so it's fine. But in every one-on-one call that I had with our interns this summer, just because it was kind of top of mind for me, I was doing the leadership program of the Rockies, learning about capitalism, about the constitution. And so I would always ask them like, what do you think about capitalism? And it's always fun when you ask a stranger that, especially as a young black man, because people just don't know where you stand, right? So I get to ask these questions. I get to see these young interns get kind of uncomfortable, um, some more than others, but it's just fun to kind of see how they're going to respond to it, how they're going to react to it first and foremost, and then how they're going to respond to it. And so they would eventually respond and they'd share, you know, whatever they thought. And all three of them, thanks be to God, were pretty pro-capitalism. But what I thought was interesting was they each had something, uh, somewhat of a critique right? There's something negative about capitalism. One shared about uh, that capital and capitalism by its nature, um, uh, not abuses the poor, but exploits people. It's exploited, exploitative in nature, which I disagree with. Um, and it's kind of a, a Marxist talking point, right? But this is the kind of stuff you're learning in college is that there's problems with capitalism. There's problems with seeking profit. A lot of the problems of the world flow from people seeking profit. They flow from these greedy businessmen who are often the bad guys in movies from rated R films all the way down to the cartoons you watch, right? If you watch like the OG cartoons, it's always Mr. Moneybags, right? That's running around. And um, what was the duck? Um, I can't remember the duck's name. Uh, ben Shapiro references it all the time. Um, Scrooge McDuck. And then you have, uh, there's another one that just is like uh, super greedy, but I guess Scrooge is the same way, right? Just all about the all about the Benjamins. And so this is kind of the, the picture it gets portrayed. And so you never get to see or hear, and, and this is why most people can't ever explain any downsides of nonprofits. And are there any, right? Because we kind of have this mindset as a church, as a society, that if you go to work in nonprofits, you're doing a higher work. You're doing a work that has more value, more benefit for society. And what's interesting about this to me is that I just think we have our our tears wrong and how we value work, right? Because obviously we know and we agree that as Christians, 
not all nonprofits are made the same, right? They're not all created equal. And so what do I mean by that? I mean, I'm, I'm 99% sure that uh, Planned Parenthood is a nonprofit. Does that mean that if you go to work for Planned Parenthood, you're like doing some gift of humanity? No, Planned Parenthood is like the worst place in the world you can work other than working for like a sex trafficking ring, which it low-key kind of can be. They've gotten caught up with some scandals with that. Um, yeah, it's like one of the worst places you can work. You're like facilitating the devil's work. It's like work. It's like the opposite of working at a parish or something like that, right? And so nonprofit in and of itself is not good, right? We know that. Um, but then you also have just kind of the, this perspective that if you go into, let's say, even a religious or a service-oriented nonprofit, are those always net positive? I mean, there's um, many books and things written on this, like uh, Toxic Charity, which kind of hits on this this concept of um, just evaluating and questioning like whether or not those of us who travel from first world countries, which I've done multiple times, those of us who travel from first world countries to go to third world countries, like, is that the best use of that capital, of that money, right? If you spend three grand to travel to Africa, would it be better for you just to invest $3,000 into the community rather than you going and having this experience and getting to hand out some food? You know, you're handing out $500 worth of food when you spend $3,000 on your flights. There's questions like that. And, and these are things that we've done in the, in the charity world. We've done in the nonprofit world at large. But then when you get into fundraising your salary, like people are just like, no, it's off limits. And I don't think that we can live our lives thinking that any conversation is off limits. And just the fact that some people have that mindset that like these organizations or this model is off limits, I think is very troubling. And I think that it's a sign of progressive ideas infiltrating into the minds of Catholics. Because that's a that's a progressive leftist thing, right? To even say that there's something that's off, you know, that you can't talk about, to get upset about it and try to like squash the conversation, um, to ask, you know, to question always like, what good are you doing? And it's like, I'm just bringing it up. Can we talk about it? Is there is there really is it really unfathomable that these organizations could use some reform or be doing things a little bit different way? I don't think that it is. And so this is this is why I think it's important to bring these things up. They're important to talk about. The other thing that I think is really important in these when it comes to questioning this is I just feel like I have a pulse for things that are making people uncomfortable in the room. And when I feel like I know things that are making people uncomfortable in the room, I'd rather push into that and talk about it as a family than let it go and keep moving on. I don't like being passive aggressive. I don't like pretending like we don't know that there's problems, I want to talk about it. And it's very Jordan Peterson-esque, right? It's where I learned that. It's at least partially where I learned that. I was kind of born with it too. So I, I want to bring that up, right? I, and I say that because this is something, especially after I started posting about it, the number of messages that I got, especially interesting to me, was the number of messages I got from people who, the number of messages I got from people who used to do this some who actively do it that are like, yeah, I don't really love that. This is the way that things are. And that I think is really interesting. Then you have the defenders of it from people who are currently doing it. And then you had defenders of spouses of people who are currently doing it. Um, but first and foremost, let's, let's start from the widest out and then we'll get down to the nitty gritty of fundraising your salary and the, the issues with that. Going back to profits versus uh, nonprofits versus for profits. I recently heard somebody put it this way and I kind of agree with this. I think that there's, it's not a perfect definition, but I think that it's at least something that can shake up the definitions or make you question and wonder 
whether or not this is true. And this was somebody that told me that there's no such thing as a for-profit and a non-profit. The only difference is one is tax exempt and one is non-tax exempt. And so if you think about that, non-profit organizations were started, and I'm not an expert on the history of tax exempt organizations, but we started having tax exempt organizations like hospitals, like schools, because they were doing work that we thought was good. Their primary purpose was their service and not making profit. And it doesn't mean they don't make a profit. It just means their primary purpose was supposed to be the service and not their profit. I think prime examples of this, you think of like Mother Teresa, right? Think of this, the missionaries of charity, um, Sisters of Life, right? Like these organizations that are truly caring for the sick and suffering that are not able to pay for themselves. So you're, you're providing a service um, or a, a, uh, a service or a good to a population specifically that's not able to pay for that, right? So this is why schools can be a good example of that. You're providing discounted education that's subsidized by the parish or whatever, subsidized by donations, that we're not going to tax you, right? Like we just kind of agree as a society, like, yeah, okay, these companies, yes, they're going to make some money because they have to pay people, they have to operate, they have to keep the lights on, but we're not going to tax them, right? That was kind of the, the mindset is that we're, we're going to have some exceptions here. So you're going to be tax exempt as an organization, as a business. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're not trying to make a profit. It doesn't mean you don't make cuts so that you have more overhead and money to invest back into the company or the organization. And this is something that is really uh, important to me because I think a lot of people view it as, and this kind of ties into with the concept of being a missionary, is we kind of assume that if you work for a nonprofit, or if you have a nonprofit, if you're a missionary, that you're not making much money. And this is something I think is really interesting because if you think about it, I get it, right? Like if I had a nonprofit, I would make more money from donors than I would when I encourage you to join locals, when you've thought about it over and over again, you still haven't joined, you don't want to support because it's not tax deductible. That's why some people don't want to do it or they do they give in lower amounts. And that's fine. I have to figure out in my own way, how can I make this profitable? How can I make it so that I can provide exclusive content or whatever it might be um, to people that they'd be willing to pay for? And if they're not willing to pay for it, then maybe I need to try my hand at something else, right? And that's kind of how the market works. That's how capitalism works. So you try things out, you invest, you see if you get a return on your investment, you may or may not do so. The thing that I think is really difficult is you have these other massive nonprofits where people are making, and I don't think a lot of people know this, but you can actually look it up. You can look up on the internet and see the tax forms because nonprofits have to report their taxes publicly. You can see on the tax forms of most of these organizations and see that there are Catholic speakers and leaders of organizations that are making anywhere from 150 to 250. I think the highest I saw was somebody that made about $430,000. This is a very, very popular Catholic speaker and writer um, who, who was just from one organization making north of $400,000, making more than the president of the United States. And that's not counting, I would assume, royalties for book sales. That's not counting speaker fees or a lot of like kind of individual contracted speaking engagements, any like other full-time work or part-time work that this person had. So that's a lot of money. And I'm not mad at people for making a lot of money. I just think it gets kind of suspect when you're asking somebody to donate their money to a nonprofit when, you're make, when you have an individual making some 400 some thousand dollars a year. To me, there should be some type of cap on that, or we should at least have more transparency. But this is also really important and something that I shared in my uh, Theology on Tap talk 
is that this also hopefully will inspire us to look into the organizations that we're giving money to. And that's probably something I want to be even more keen on. And I want to kind of dial in on even more because this is really where a lot of this sparked for me and, and Emily and my wife, uh, or I, that I made that sound like it was three people, but me and my wife, Emily, my wife, comma, Emily, um, which you all know that Emily's my wife. So I don't know why I even said it that way, but we recently, we had the opportunity um, where somebody asked us, they're leaving Colorado. Um, a friend of ours, not really a super close friend, but just a friend of ours. And they were leaving Colorado, going to another state to become a campus minister at a high school. Uh, it's possible that this person is listening. I'm not trying to, to bash this individual. This is just what happened. And so this is why I'm keeping it anonymous. And so they were going to be a campus minister somewhere else. And they reached out to us and asked us if we would like to, um, to donate because they were having to fundraise their salary. Now, this out of the gate to me is troubling. I don't understand why some high schools can have their own campus minister and then other ones have to fundraise their salary. To me, it's like you can either afford to have a campus minister or you can't. That's kind of part of the game, right? This is how tuition works. If you want to have the perk of that, then you make that happen, right? The school can find a donor that can supply that or a number of donors or whatever, but I don't get bringing somebody in and making them fundraise their salary. But this was kind of the, the spark for me. So they, they reach out to us and they ask, what would we like to donate? And they asked if we wanted to give something North, if I'm not mistaken of $200 a month, which if you're keeping track at home, that's nearly $2,500 a year. Okay. Um, um, no, probably not going to do that. Are you sure? I really think you should pray about it. Yeah, no, I, I feel pretty sure that I don't want to do that. Right. And there's a few follow-ups, whatever. And then oftentimes when you have these situations, you don't hear back from the person or the relationship can be strained, right? Like there's kind of this aspect of, of pressure towards it, just like you can kind of feel sometimes emotionally manipulated to donate money to organizations as well. Um, and, and that's all, that's all fine. Right. Cause that could be, your own heart that's speaking of it doesn't necessarily have to mean that the thing is bad but this is kind of what kicked all this off for us along with me being in the course that i was in in the leadership program of the rockies learning about capitalism but this kind of that, that kind of experience made us really start to question like do we want to support any of the missionaries that we were supporting we were supporting other missionaries at different organizations i think at that time we had three or four that we were supporting each month and so we, we started to ask ourselves, like, is this something we want to do? And that's what kind of started the internal evaluation of, of all this. Now, before I go back to kind of in that story, I know I'm kind of jumping back and forth, but going back to the nonprofits. So you have some leaders of nonprofits making several hundred thousand dollars a year. This is similar with missionaries. You have some missionaries that are making a pretty healthy salary as well. Um, and it's not to say that it's bad, but it is to say, okay, if you have a president of a nonprofit making more money than the CEO of a for-profit company, is it really that much more sacrificial? Is it really that higher? Like, should we really have this kind of moral superiority, um, whether that's on the individual level or just the way that we view the organizations, right? To compare it to um, a Catholic company selling rosaries or a Catholic publisher or a Catholic prayer app that might be for-profit. We view those sometimes. And, and I know, especially when Hal was first getting kicked off, they got a lot of crap for being for-profit. And it's like, why? You know, if they end up making money based on the exchange, at least to me, that feels like a more honest exchange. 
versus if you're making a lot of money and people don't know that they're donating just to the, the CEO or president making $300,000 a year. That to me is a little bit more concerning. That, that's more troubling to say, okay, wh why, why not just like pr produce a good or service that people are willing to pay for? That's, a, that's an honest exchange of money in my, in my view versus saying, oh, you're donating to all of this, this uh, evangelization work we're doing and then somebody's bringing home 300 grand. That to me seems a little bit more sus. To me, if anything, that seems less morally superior than the honest person, whether that be a, a pizza pizzeria owner or a lawn care service, a roofer, um, you name it, right? A lawyer, like when you're actually paying somebody for a good or service and you're just like, this is, and they get enough people to do that, that they're able to make a lot of money. That's a good thing. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. And I think we have to stop demonizing that to our young people so they can start to actually discern for their lives what they want to go do. Um, the other thing that I have an issue kind of generally speaking with nonprofits is you don't have as much oversight of what happens with the money within the company at large, right? So not just with regards to salaries, but also when it comes to just like the company. I, I know of multiple um, big nonprofits that uh, in the Catholic space, like I'm talking some of the top five biggest ones. Um, I've worked at one of them before. Uh, if you know where I worked before, you know where I worked before. I interviewed and applied at one before and know a lot of people being here in Colorado that worked very closely with another nonprofit. Um, and I know from both of those organizations and several others that there have been times where they've invested tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes north of a million dollars into a project and then just kind of wiped it away. And we're just like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. We're just going to stop. Because why? Or before I go into that, you know who doesn't do that most of the time? For-profit companies. You know why? Because for-profit companies have investors and investors have meetings and they get updates on what are you doing with all the money? What are the results you're creating, you're producing? Is there a more efficient way that you can operate? And the investors in a for-profit company, especially in a startup, are very much, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about like investment money, right? Not just like uh, stockholders or, or something like that. Stake, um, yeah, not just like stockholders, people buying stock of Apple, right? I don't, I don't give Apple advice. But when you have investors, like uh, venture capitalists and things like that, they're going to give you insight and they're going to coach you and develop you and mentor you and, and connect you with other people to help you make good decisions to use the money wisely. Donors are different. They just want to see a result. So they don't know if you wasted money. They don't know how much other mon people's money you've uh, fundraised. They don't really know what happens. And so there's not both companies. If you look at a for-profit and a non-profit, both can make really bad decisions with investing the money that they're given. The difference is the for-profit usually goes out of business after doing that. The non-profit can just seek out other donors, right? Because you don't have the same transparency. And this, I think, is a big issue. You don't have that same oversight. And there's value to that, right, in the business world. There's value to doing that. And this is why you see so many ugly things come out about different nonprofits over time, right? Like you think about Catholic charities or a lot of other charity organizations. This isn't to throw all Catholic charities under the bus. But any, any charitable organization like that, right, that's feeding the hungry, doing things, foreign missions, you always have to look and wonder how much of each dollar actually goes to what they're trying to do. And I know we've done a good job, I think, as a society of making that more transparent, but it's still something that we have to look into because we can't just have this blind assumption that if I give money to a nonprofit, 
my money's going further and I'm knowing what's going to happen to it than if I don't. All right. So that's kind of all of my thoughts there. I'm trying to think, is there anything else I want to say about nonprofits versus for-profits? I guess my last thought on it would be just the kind of Benedictine college approach. I really love this. President Steve Minister Benedictine is doing a great job of trying to encourage young people to understand that we need Catholic doctors. We need Catholic lawyers. We need Catholic accountants. We need Catholic software engineers. We need Catholic everything. We need people to be in the world. And so going out and being in the business world is a very, very good thing to do. And especially if you're in college right now, if you're listening to me and you're in college, my friend, if you're listening and you're in college or you're in high school about to go to college, especially, especially, especially if you're a man, please don't just get a theology degree. I know this is a hot take. I know that a lot of people are going to tell you, no, but you can do it. You can get a philosophy degree. You can do whatever. Please don't do that. If you're going to do it, get a backup plan. Just have a backup plan. I'm not saying it has to be crazy. I'm not saying you have to go biology as your backup plan, but just do finance, get a marketing degree. Get, it, it doesn't even have to be crazy awesome, but just get some type of backup degree that you can have and do your internships, not just being a missionary or doing totus to us. I love totus to us. Not just doing totus to us, not just volunteering at your youth group over the summer. Like get some internship experience because you're going to be either a priest one day and none of this will matter, or you're going to be a husband and father. And if you are a husband and father, you do not want to be stuck in a ministry job that's paying you $35,000 a year, not knowing what else you can go do with your life. Now, as I've mentioned earlier, you could start a nonprofit. If you're really good at it, you might make 400K. So that is an option, but very few people are able to do that. It's, a very, it's like trying to make it to the NBA in the Catholic world. So I wouldn't bank on it because the vast majority of people are making like thirty dollars to $60,000 a year working in ministry. So I just think that's really important. I love that Benedictine is promoting that. And that's something that I feel really passionate about as well. Going back to what I'm going to be talking about next week, a little bit deeper in that same, in that same vein. Um, you just don't want to set yourself up for failure, especially you have to look at it as a return on investment. I don't think that it's necessary that we make kids have a college degree and go into debt to be a youth minister. I think that if you went to a good high school where you were well-formed and you have ongoing formation and education, I don't see why you, I didn't have a theology degree. I offered like five youth ministry jobs out of college, not out of college, out of the army, because I applied to a bunch of them because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And luckily I got the job um, that I did being a parish consultant, which was much, much more awesome for me. Um, but you don't need to have a theology degree to do a lot of this stuff. And so it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try for one. I know people tell me I should get one and I'd love to get more theology education. I feel like I try to generally stay away from speaking about deep theological things, or if I'm getting close to them, at least saying like, Hey, I'm not an expert on this. I try to look up sources, but you don't have to have, I don't know why you have to have a four year theology degree to be a youth minister. I think that if you're 20 years old, you should be able to lead 14 to 15 year olds in their faith. Like that's just how we should be developing our 20 year olds, right? Like that should just be part of it. And you should be able to coordinate pizza and make a plan for games for the evening. Not to downplay the life of a youth minister, but let's be honest. So those are my thoughts. Now, diving back in. So we have this experience, right? This friend of ours leaves. You want to give me 250 a month? No, I'm good. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I think you should pray about it. No, I'm probably not going to do that. So that kind of happens, right? And then I went to seek. 
And so again, this isn't like a, a bash by any means on any specific organization, but I'm just kind of sh sharing with you transparently my journey to how I started talking about this and thinking about this. So there was a moment specifically at Seek where they did this very good thing. First of all, let me also say, I love Seek. I went to Seek in 2015, very, very impactful in my life. I share a lot of the things that I learned at Seek in a lot of my talks ongoing. I had a great experience. I thought it was awesome. And I uh, had a great time at this Seek. I think it's a good thing. I've paid for people to go to Seek and I love it. There's that. While I was there, they did this really good thing where they did an award for two former missionaries who ended up marrying each other. I think now have three kids. If you were there for like the keynotes each night, you probably remember this really cute couple. They might even have their kids with them come out the stage and they receive this award. What you're asking yourself, Nathan, what did they get an award for? My friend, I can't wait to tell you. They got an award for just the great work they're doing in their parish. And so they both, I think, no, not both of them. He works full time. She's a full time mom and wife. And, um, they are crushing it in their parish. They're, they like, he leads a men's Bible study. She does a women's Bible study. And they did this whole like kind of highlight them. It was a really cool video, very inspirational, especially to those of us who are out of college and living family life. Um, they did this great video kind of highlighting the awesome work that they're doing and how great they are. And I loved it. I thought it was really, really beautiful. Love to see it. Now, when I was graduating from college, I remember considering being a focused missionary. Mind you, I was a contractor for ROTC. And so this would mean that I'd either have to drop down and go National Guard or Reserves or like totally break my contract, which was probably not really on the table because I made a pretty big vow and really asked the Lord that I wouldn't just be broke forever. And so I would have owed the army like $110,000 or something like that if I had broke my contract. So that wasn't really an option, but I know you can do like National Guard Reserves and still do it. So I was like, maybe I can make both work. And part of my draw for it was just that it seemed like I, I fell into the camp at this point in my life when I was 21, that this was the highest thing you could go do. Now, to me, I think that's really interesting because understand that I was going to become an infantry officer in the army. And I felt like the highest thing you could go do kind of felt bad about what I was going to go do because I wasn't going to be a focused missionary somewhere. This is not saying that being a focused missionary is not an amazing thing, but I think it does contribute to a little bit of the distortion that we have of where it falls on the rank order of the best things that you can do with your life. And it doesn't mean we have to list everything from one to a million, right? But I think that it shows that, okay, maybe we just kind of overhype it just a tad every now and then. Um, but as I was leaving, right, I, I get out of the army or I go into the army and I see a lot of my friends go and become focused missionaries. I start supporting focused missionaries as soon as I started getting my first paycheck and supported them for eight years up until this year. This is my first year I'm not. Um, and I think that the thing that I saw and that I've seen as I've seen other missionary organizations, because I didn't really know any other ones at that point in my life. But as I've seen other missionary organizations is it started to seem like it went from me from being like this really beautiful and really difficult thing to do to actually one of the easier things to do. Why is that? Being in the army was really, really hard and not just really, really hard. Obviously, yeah, 
I dove in some really, really cold water. I stayed up for really, really long periods of time. I lost at one point 20 pounds in 21 days. Uh, I was in a place, I remember my first mission night in ranger school, two guys left with hypothermia. Um, I went to Afghanistan. I remember the mortar attacks. Like there was uh, lots of things, right? <laughs> it's not easy. Forget all that. I'm not even talking about all that. Being in the army is really, really hard to remain Catholic because you're in an environment where it's just, you're, you're on all the time, right? There's no letting your guard down. There's not, I had one, God always provided me one good Catholic friend throughout my time in the army. It was two different guys. Their timing overlapped in my life, but I always had at least one guy, but it was only one guy who was like a really legit good Catholic friend. And thank God that I had at least one. But I think a lot of people, when they get out of college and they go into the secular world, you get to see how hard it is. And this is why this family deserved the award. Because to me, the life post-missionary is much more difficult than the life as a missionary. Because yes, it's draining, it's difficult, it can be hard. I'm not saying that it's easy. But I do feel like the missionary lifestyle, no matter what organization you go join, is somewhat of an extension of college. Like it's not really real life yet. You are kind of on all the time, but you're kind of not on ever. And what I mean by that, the latter part of that, is that your, your work is what most of us have to spend our time volunteering to do. Working with the youth, working with college kids, leading Bible studies, um, you know, leading retreats. Like, or you get paid to do it, right? Because I, I do those things sometimes paid, sometimes for free. Um, but a lot of the volunteering, especially with youth programs and things like that, like you just do for free. And I have to do that when I have to work all day long and then uh, eat dinner with my family and then go to youth group, then come home late at night, spend some time with my wife, go to bed, get up and work the next day. That to me, that that's difficult, right? Like Like family life with ministry is very hard. Ministry, when it's not your full-time job, is very difficult to make time for. Because one, it's very easy to say no. Two, you never have the time for it, right? So Emily and I very well maybe it's not guaranteed yet, but maybe volunteering with RCIA this year at our parish, Our Lady of Lords. That's September to Easter every Wednesday. That's a lot. And there's people across the country doing that. Like, this isn't something that is like, a, oh, look how cool Nathan and Emily are. People across the country, around the world, are doing that. Many of them year over year. Just giving up one night a week. That's a lot. Especially when you have kids, when you got other stuff going on. You have a spouse who works full time. That's your precious time with them. It's hard. And so I feel like we don't understand that. When you get out of that, it's very difficult. And a lot of people don't ever really fully understand that because they get out of that and they do become youth ministers or campus ministers. Or they do some other type of ministry job. And ministry just generally isn't super real life. It's just kind of different, right? Like I've, I've worked in it and I've seen it. I'm not saying this is somebody, I, I like speaking on these topics because I've worked for a for-profit company. I've worked for a university, worked for a nonprofit organization. I've volunteered and worked closely with different parishes and different organizations. I've uh, done the interview weekend with the Culture Project, and I worked for the government in the United States Army. So I've got a lot of different experience. I don't know if you've ever done any physical labor in your life. I, I remember for a summer, 
super hot. I loaded boxes at FedEx. And then obviously I was in the army. To say that the work that some of these missionaries do doesn't even compare to loading boxes or some of the things that physical labor people do is an understatement. It's just like you don't realize how difficult life can be until you get into a harder situation. And that's why a lot of college kids complain, right? They're like, oh, we're so busy. I'm so tired. And it's like college is like the easiest four years of your life. I think the lie we always tell people is that it's the most fun four years of your life. That I don't think is true, but it is the easiest four years. I think by far. You can make it really hard if you like are obsessive over your grades and you choose the hardest major or whatever. But by and large, it's just it's just fun and easy and a great time for personal growth and to figure out what you want to do with your life, who you are, who you want to become, and develop that relationship with God or whatever. All those important things, right? But we have to start to understand this. We, we have to stop looking at it like, like the missionary lifestyle is the hardest thing in the world. And almost a caveat under that. This is something that, that also bothers me that, that will kind of segue into some of the social media responses. Is we have to understand this word missionary to me is a manipulation. I had a friend of mine, her name's Leanne. She's awesome. She, after college, remained in the Army Reserves and lived in Haiti working as a working at a an orphanage. She ended up adopting a couple of the girls there. She was there when there was like kidnappings and all kinds of crazy stuff in Haiti. Um, because it's all very recent, right? It's like the last like six years. And it was an honor that I had to be able to support her and be on her support team. To me, calling Leanne a missionary and calling somebody who is giving talks at a Catholic high school, somebody who is leading Bible studies on a college campus, somebody who is um, leading retreats, also a missionary, seems like we don't understand what the word means. Seems like we need to have two different words for those things because, I mean, it's almost the same as like when we call everybody a soldier, right? Like if you're a cook, you're a soldier. And if you're a warrior, you're a soldier. If you're on the front lines, you're a soldier. And if you're, you know, flying a drone at home, you're a soldier. And it's like, oh, are, oh, are you sure? I recently had a really funny conversation about that with a, a friend of mine. Um, I met this young man recently and he was like, oh, he didn't know anything about, about me because we just met. And he's like, oh, I was in the, I'm in the army. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, and I know because I'm not a civilian that when somebody says that, they might not really mean it. You know what I'm saying? Like they could just be like, oh, I'm in the military. And then it's like you find out that he shines shoes in the Coast Guard or something like that. Um, but this guy was like, yeah, I'm in the army. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, what do you do? It's like, oh, well, I'm in the Army National Guard. And I'm like, okay, there we go. Um, furthermore, what's your MOS, your military occupational specialty? What do you actually do in the Army? Homie says I'm a carpenter. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So this is what I'm talking about is people say, oh, you're a soldier. Yes, but I'm a carpenter in the National Guard. Now, I'm not saying you should be ashamed of that. But let's just say that that's like less than being in the Air Force. You know what I mean? If we're being real with it, if I'm keeping it 100 with you. And it's cool. Like, I'm glad that people still like support it. It's great. Like, you're still in the Army. You can still be deployed. Ultimately, you did go to basic training. So you at least theoretically know some things about combat. But there's just different levels to things. 
And I think that's really important. And I think that we should, I think that somebody like Leanne, who's um, uh, running an orphanage in a city that is run by terrorist groups and gangs, like that is a morally superior <laughs> role, right? That's, that's barely making enough money to survive after she pays her, her student loans or whatever, you know, like her, her, her bills for the month, like is barely making it. That to me is a missionary. Now, I think one thing a lot of people have issues with when it comes to these different organizations, especially those that don't have caps, is some of y'all mugs is balling. Some of these missionaries out here getting to the bread. And I think that's kind of troublesome. Going back to what I said about the nonprofits. When you say you're a nonprofit and you ask for donations, you're saying you're doing this good work. We just kind of assume that most of the money is going to the work. Because why? That's what nonprofits were started for. They were started going very much back to the beginning of this. Just to recap, they were started for people who you were providing a service or a good to people who typically couldn't afford to pay for that service or good. And so we donated to you. We got the tax exempt status for the donations because post-tax money shouldn't be taxed in the first freaking place um, after it's already been taxed. But then on top of it, it's like your organization's tax exempt because why you're providing a good to society that to specifically to people who can't afford it, which is exactly what my missionary Leanne was doing in Haiti. If you're pulling 60, 70 grand as a, as a missionary working with students somewhere and you're cash flowing like crazy. And, and this to me, these are, these are probably my three personally, my three biggest issues with it. You're making more money than a missionary should make by just being a good fundraiser. And so you're making a lot of money. Nobody knows how much money you're making, but you just ask for more and people give more. You explain why you need it. And is it really going to that purpose? I don't know. It depends how transparent you are while you're fundraising. Secondly, you're serving a group that is oftentimes not struggling. Right. If you think about the people typically who are able to go to college, not everybody, but a, a lot of them are coming from pretty well off families. When you think about these young uh, Catholic women in Bible studies or these high schools where their, their, their parents are paying twenty thousand dollars a year for them to go to high school, they can't pay for your talk. These these millionaire Catholic families that are sending their kids to these different high schools, grade schools, colleges. They can't pay for you to come speak or for you to lead Bible study or whatever it is. This is what I'm saying. Like it, it, it's, it's not to me, that's a violation of like the actual thing nonprofits are meant to be for because before it's like, okay, if I have a, a, a an order of sisters and nuns running a hospital, they're providing healthcare to the poor, which is something we believe in. The sisters take a vow of poverty. So they're not out here balling. And the, 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 the service, the people they're providing it to can't pay for themselves. And typically, this goes to my third point, my third biggest issue is that typically when you were giving money to them back in the day, it was your local religious order. It was your local hospital. And so it's like, I'm responsible, my parish is responsible for our parish boundaries, right? We're responsible for Englewood, for Denver. We're not responsible for the, the college kids in Florida. We're not responsible for the, the middle schoolers in Virginia. I'm not responsible for the high school students in Texas. Yes, it's good to contribute to the good. I'm not, I'm not any more responsible necessarily for the, the people in Haiti. But what's the difference between giving money to Texas and giving money to Haiti 
Texas has a lot more money than Haiti. Texas can get its own shit together. Haiti can't. If Haiti had to rely on just Haiti to have money for their, their uh, you know, um, charitable works, running the orphanages, the hospitals, things like that, it would be a disaster. So that's the difference. So those are probably my three biggest issues. You got missionaries who are balling. You're serving in a community a lot of times, not oftentimes. This is why I think there's a difference between certain organizations and an organization like Christ in the City. If you're Christ in the City, you're walking around serving the homeless. They take actual like, I don't know if it's a vow. It's not a vow, but it's like a commitment to poverty, right? I know Christ in the City missionaries are living on pure donated food. They live in like rooms together. And they're not out here buying houses and doing all this other stuff. They can only do it for one to two years at a time. To me, Christ in the City is a great example of a place that does it right. Um, we have Christ in the City here in Denver. I don't know any Christ in the City missionaries, but I'm thinking about just starting to give money to the organization because I think they do great work. And they're actually here in my local vicinity. Um, and they're serving a community that can't pay for the service or good. Um, and they also are, are very serious and committed to their own poverty while they call themselves missionaries. To me, that's the way that it should go. I don't know why. To, personally, I, I just can't tell you why that's a controversial statement. I don't know why there's so many people that get upset about that. I don't know why there's so many people who defend organizations that violate those three kind of principles. But I don't see why certain organizations like Augusta Institute and Dynamic Catholic can fundraise enough for their employees. And then you have other organizations that make everybody their fundraise. I don't personally get how you ask somebody to come work for you and then tell them, oh, but I'm not going to pay you anything. You have to fundraise your salary. I don't necessarily love somebody having a vision for their life, them making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year or a hundred thousand dollars a year even, and their vision coming to fruition and they're not paying anybody to, to make it work. They got people working for them. They're not paying. That to me is crazy. That to me is just crazy. And it's one thing and then if you have the missionaries, but why, like you tell me you got accountants fundraising? You got H HRs fundraising their salary? You got people out here in, in just working in the office that are fundraising? They're not even missionaries. How, how are y'all, I just want to know, legit, my Catholics out there, how are y'all donating to accountants? That shit don't make sense to me. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. How are you donating to, to HR? A company, you got major gift officers, you fundraise that stuff, man. And then what's the difference there? This is, this is what I think a lot of people don't get too. Why do I like giving to, to a dynamic Catholic or an Augusta Institute and, and they can have their own issues? This isn't saying that those organizations are perfect by any means. I have not said that in this podcast. If you know a little bit deeper, you understand what I'm saying right now. But why I like giving to an organization like that more is because it's better for the organization to kind of centralize it and then pay people in my opinion, if you to fundraise your own salary. Because one thing for me, if you have any sense and you're fundraising your own salary, you're not bossing me around. And maybe I'm just a jerk. I can be your jerk if that's what you want me to be the villain. But I remember talking to a friend of mine about uh, when I was applying to the culture project and talking about fundraising your salary. And he was like, how many hours a week do you have to work? He was like, because you're not getting me to work very often if you're not paying me anything. And I was like, bro, legit, you, you preaching right now. You really talking, you really saying something. And so to me, it's crazy. You have certain organizations like that that are telling you you got to work. You get two days off a month. You can't go home and I'm not paying you shit. And people be like, sign me up. And maybe, maybe it's just like God called you there and you're like, yeah, this is what I'm called to do or whatever. But I think when you have those conflicts, then I think it's just we have a really docile group of Catholics, right? Like 
people are just really good people. And so they're just very agreeable. A lot of times when people go to do this stuff, but to me, I'm, I'm, I'm not right. I'm, I'm disagreeable. I push back. I want to raise, I want more money. I want to earn more money. I want to make more, uh, of my life. I want to have more to do with. Right. And I'm not going to just be agreeable like that. And so if you're not paying me anything, I mean, I was disagreeable in the army, which is like unheard of, right? It's unthinkable. But are you paying me $0 a month and you're my boss? Like, what does a a performance review even mean if it's not tied to my salary? You have to understand that generally, like what work is? (laughs) Work is me making an agreement with my employer. I will give you this much time. I'm willing to do this work in that time. And in exchange for that, you're going to pay me. Right. So you have I'm, I'm selling my goods and services, right? My body, my time, my mind, my ideas, my effort to my employer for a certain amount of money. Right. It's a capitalist. It's, an, it's a free exchange. What does that even look like if you are fun, if I'm fundraising my own salary, you're my boss, like and, and a certain portion of my money goes to you. Like what leverage is there other than my goodwill? And is it, is it, I think the challenge here that I'm trying to push you on is, is it even goodwill? Like, I I guess you could say that, well, it's just for the mission or whatever. It's like, yeah, but you can do the mission in different ways. You can pay me to do a mission. I've, I've been paid to do a mission. I feel like all of my work that I've done has been very mission oriented. I've never fundraised my salary. So why does it have to be this way to have a certain mission, but other mission organizations? Why do, why does some campus ministers at high schools have to fundraise their salary and some can just be paid by the school? You're not going to convince me that the one that fundraises their salary is in a better situation, that that's a better setup. I don't think you ever convinced me of that. I don't think it makes any sense. Other than maybe the person could walk, they have more freedom, I guess, but they're not using it. So are they actually advocating for better situations, for better uh, working conditions, whatever it is? Doesn't make any sense to me. But I think the other issue that I have with this is um, going back to the example of the religious. Is this this is totally speculation, but the to me, like back in the day when you had nuns who were running schools, who were running hospitals, like religious orders to me just made more sense and they had more purpose back then. Now that we have all these now that we have all these missionaries going out and doing these things, um, I do think it has to take away from and we have this we have this crisis of vocations. I have to think that it takes away from it a little bit. You have so many women who now are getting older in age and they're still single. And it's like, if they didn't go to be, I know that there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of vocations that come out of these organizations, but I think there's also a lot of vocations that don't come out of it. And I don't think we know that, right? If, if, if men who are on fire at the end of their four years of college, if women who are on fire and looking for more and looking for discernment and, and, and formation, if they went to the convent and they went to the seminary, instead of going to be a missionary and fundraise their salary somewhere, would we have higher vocations? Even if that convent was attached to doing campus ministry at a high school or a grade school or, par- or parish or, um, or a college, wouldn't we have better vocations if that was the case? I don't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you think I'm crazy, but I just think that there has to be some type of correlation that we don't know about and like the decrease of vocations and the number of, especially women, I, you just don't hear about a lot of women who are going to become religious sisters or nuns. At least I almost never do. And 
many of them are single and can't find a spouse. And many of them have gone to, to be missionaries instead of actually discerning in a convent for a couple of years. Now, just to close up here, I want to talk about some of the, the complaints. And so if you're somebody that works for a missionary organization or you did, or maybe you run one, whatever it is, I just want to tell you transparently what I heard from people, because this, I think, is, is what we all need to know. And maybe you think I'm just being annoying or you think I'm dumb. You're welcome to think that. I think that half the time myself, but I think that what I, what I wish and hope that more missionaries will be open to is hearing some of this negative feedback. Those of us on the other side of the table are having while working with you. And that's what I think is really important. And so let's take a look at some of these responses I got from people. So one of the major themes, the, the thing we agreed on the most the thing most people were most upset about is the violation of the, the first principle that I shared earlier. So going over those again, you've got missionaries making too much money. You got missionaries serving a population that could pay for the goods or services themselves. And then you have missionaries that are at a distance instead of being local and, and focusing on local charity. The first part of that, I think is the most common objection. I heard a story from a woman who told me her brother-in-law is a missionary or works on a staff for some Catholic organization that fundraises salaries. She said that they live, she and her family live in a $300,000 house somewhere with several kids and take vacation like every other year. They give to her brother-in-law who recently bought just around, maybe just South, maybe just North of a million dollar house has five or six kids, wife stays home, takes a great vacation every year. And two painful things. One, the brother-in-law asked them for more money when they were trying to buy this house. A house that's nicer than the person that gave them the money owns. And then the second thing is just like family, um, not vacations, but holidays. They hear about these awesome extravagant vacations and things that they're going on while, while her kids have to sit there and they didn't go on vacation this year. She didn't get a break and go on vacation this year. And this to me, if you don't believe in the first principle, if you didn't before then, you should now, because that should tell you that there's something wrong with this. And the number one thing we most, we most agreed on was not even, not even just specifically missionaries making too much money. Sorry, my throat's really dry today. Not just missionaries making too much money, but specifically grown men who are married with kids fundraising six-figure plus salaries. And this is why I told you guys, my young men, I told you this at the very beginning, get that other degree because this is not the way, man. There's just something wrong with it. And I think most of us can just tell, we can just feel that like it just doesn't pass the eye test. You got five kids, you're married, and you're fundraising your salary and you're buying a, a dope crib like... That's weird. To me, there's just something that's not right in the order of things. If you want to go out and make more money as a man, you say, I'm just going to go ask people for more money. When I wanted my wife, when I wanted Emily to be able to stay home, I worked very hard to find our house that we could Airbnb. I did work very hard to get it set up and, re and running. And I was able to work to supplant her income. To me, that's very different than going and just saying, I'm going to do the exact same amount of work that I'm currently doing. 
I'm not going to provide anything else to anybody else, any more effort or work or, or expand anything. I'm just going to ask the people who are giving me money, paying my salary to give me more of it. Like, I don't, I, I had people literally reach out to me when I was talking about this to say, well, it's just the same as an MLM or it's the same as a for-profit company or whatever. You just, if you want more money, you work to make more money. No, this is the difference. Is if I want to make more money, I work in sales. I have to work harder. I have to make more calls, more emails, be more on top of my stuff. I have to be better at my demos. I have to improve what I'm doing. When you're fundraising your salary with no cap, especially, you just ask more people for money. That's it. Even think about this. People will say, well, what about supporters for your podcast? If I stop, I can't, I have to, if I have to, I'm right now not having more supporters. So I'm, I'm creating and mapping out for this month. All right, how can I really crush social media? How can I really crush X, Y, or Z? I have to figure out and change and adapt and grow and become a better podcaster and invest in better equipment so I can have better quality and I can put stuff on YouTube and I can have better X, Y, Z. I don't just do the same amount of podcasts or maybe even less. At least you know, I'm doing the podcast. You're supporting the podcast. You're listening to the podcast. You're getting something, right? That's the difference. And that's that's what people, that's a huge, that's, that's not a small, that's not a minor detail. That's a huge difference. And I think that that is the thing that's really getting people the most is married fathers with multiple children, buying houses, buying investment properties, doing all these. And this these are real stories I heard from people. I heard from real estate agents telling me they have focus. Uh, or culture project or net or whatever in and like missionaries at different organizations come to them and say oh i'm trying to buy an investment property it's like bro where's that money coming from could be inheritance could be something else i don't know you make the decision but when you're asking people for money you make more money than they do when you're asking your friends, you're out of college and you're getting married and you're both missionaries and you're asking your friends for more money, your, your friends who are going to be um, Catholic school teachers and whatever, and you're asking them for $200 a month so that you can buy a house when they also want to buy a house, when they also want to get married, whatever. That's tough. Also, not having contracts. If you're going to ask me to give you money, I want to have a deadline on it because I'm not trying to do this shit forever. And I want to just be able to have the freedom to say, okay, I'm going to commit to this for one year and then we can revisit it at the end of the year. But then you have people who just stay in these organizations for five, 10, 15, 20 years, and they just keep going on. And I've heard, this is another big feedback. I heard countless stories of people who gave money to people for five, 10 years that when they said they wanted to stop, were met with anger, disgust, frustration. And that's just not the way. This to me, if you're going to talk about, oh, but look at the fruits, look at the fruits. You got to look at all the fruits. You can't just say, look at the fruits of the good work that they're doing. Yes, people in these situations are doing good work. A lot of them are making short-term relationships that aren't lasting long-term and aren't long-term development. Doesn't mean they're not having good moments and good conversations with those people, but it also doesn't mean you can't do that as an accountant at Apple or as a software engineer with Google. You can still have good conversations with people that you're going to plant some seeds and make a good impact on for a few years, and then you go on with your life. But I, I don't know how that fruit is, is that much different. I did it in the Army. I was a confirmation sponsor of one of my soldiers. I um, led faith formation for the, the soldiers in basic training. You can do that everywhere. And so any place you can look at the fruit, but then you also have to say, okay, 
this this concept of you're starting to get mad or you you treat your donors poorly or there's like a lack of gratitude and just kind of this entitlement that starts to come about. Um, and I think you see that entitlement when people start to cut ties or lower their support or whatever, and they're met with anger or they're ignored or whatever it is. And there's just not that gratitude. You know, I think there's also this aspect of when, when an individual has to fundraise their salary, it's kind of like, it feels to me like the, the House of Representatives, right? Where you have the elections every two years. And so you are constantly fundraising. And it's like, I want you to just be able to do your job. I'd rather give to the organization. The organization decides a salary for you. And then you just do your job, man. Just be on campus. Just be with the high school students. Just be whatever. Whatever you're doing, just be there. Just do it. You don't have to worry about fundraising. You don't have to worry about, I'm trying to make more money. I'm trying to meet with donors, all this stuff. That shouldn't be your role. You, you should just be doing what you do. And we should just make that as easy as possible for people to do that. And so I think the, these are some of the things, you know, when you're thinking about this. And the last thing I, I kind of want to talk about, I think I pretty much hit on all of my notes here. But there's two more things. One is just hitting on that third principle again. I don't think I hit on this enough. But I think the local charity thing is really, really important. And this is why I want to bring it back up. This idea that we should be giving the money across the country to, to cities and states that have just as much money as we do. And we should be investing in those communities and in their students and in other people's sons and daughters instead of in our own, instead of in our own Catholic schools, our own Catholic high schools. You know, like to me, that just doesn't make any sense. And I think we as conservatives really see this issue of people having this federal mindset because of the federal news becoming so popular, so much more popular than local news and local issues. The federal government, we know so much more about what's happening in the federal government than we do in our local city or state. And when that's the case, that's not good for society. That's why we're so polarized and so divided, right? Because we're worried about where we stand on these federal issues instead of seeing how we're unified around some of these local things. How can we come together to fix homelessness? How can we come together to fix crime in our city? To fix education in our city? That's how the founders envisioned it. That's why it's a conservative thing. To think that, no, we shouldn't keep giving power and money to the federal government. We should be giving, we should have that for our local places. And we shouldn't be taxed to death because people who aren't taxed to death, people who are thriving in a capitalist society, are able to give money to other things. And so those are donations and charity. And so we're able to do these charitable works. But I think that it, it contributes to what I call the bystander effect, where if I'm giving my tithe to... And this is a lot of young people. I know a lot of you young people, my, my target audience, I'm hitting my target audience, 18 to 34. I know a lot of you guys, you're tithing. Maybe you're only tithing like five to 7%. You know, I ebb and flow in that too. We're not always hitting 10 perfectly because especially it's tough with sales, commissions and Airbnb income, like everything's different, right? We vary a lot. So we're not crushing. I'm not, I'm not even talking about crushing 10 plus percent every month, but you're only giving five, maybe 3%, 7%. And it's all going to your missionary friends. I know I'm I know I'm talking to somebody out there. I know you're hearing me. You're giving 5% of your income and it's going all to missionaries and they're all elsewhere. This is my problem with a lot of young people who don't join parishes because you're not tithing at a parish. All your shit's going out of state, out of your city. When we have, I just heard the stat, it's like 28% of Catholics in Denver go to mass or only 18% of the city of Denver is actually Catholic. Uh, maybe the 28% was wrong. I think it's the 18% of the city is Catholic. 
And we're very Catholic. Like we're one of the most Catholic, you know, the strongest dioceses in the country. And so this is the kind of stuff we have to be thinking about. Okay. What am I doing to actually fix the problems that are within arm's reach? If we're trying to start, if I'm going to sponsor a pizza party, I shouldn't do it at the University of, of South Florida for their girls there, for their athletes Bible study. Instead, I should host it at my local Catholic high school or my parish's youth group or do a breakfast for men and, and have like a men and do a, have a speaker come in or do something like that, right? If you're going to give away $2,000 a year, you can do some big stuff, right? Why not give to, to Bella locally here in Denver that's doing abortion pill reversals for girls in my city? They live five, they're five minutes away from me. They're treating people in my city, in Inglewood. But instead, I'm supporting, you know, a high school in Ohio. People in Ohio can support the high schools in Ohio. People in Florida can support the college students in Florida. These kids' parents can contribute. Like, there's, there's other ways to do this. And I just don't think that that's a, I don't think long distance giving, except for when you're going to like the third world and places that can't support their, their, their own. I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing for society. And this is, this is something I've, I've started to feel really passionately about um, and really hope to see change. And uh, yeah, just um, making us all kind of think about this and reflect on, is this the best way to spend my money? Is this the best way to give? Because I think that I, I share this a lot when I, when I challenge young people to join parishes, is that when, when Father Brian or Father Sean at our parish at Lourdes when they say we need help doing X, I hear that. And I don't look around saying, oh, well, I, this is in my parish. I'm just some dumbass that comes here three times a month. Excuse me, that's not very nice, but it is, it is a dumb thing. I just come here three times a month between events and masses. And so I don't have to help at all. I just come here to take. That's ridiculous. I don't, I don't, I go to, if I'm traveling, I hear a parish and they say they need something like, then it, then it just is in one year and out the other because I can't help. But we have to stop thinking that. We see these issues and these problems and we have to start thinking, what can I do to change this? So many times you hear young people or, or people complaining, people of all ages do this, complaining, oh, the parish really needs to do more of X, Y, or Z. The parish needs to do more outreach to the homeless. The parish needs to do, well, lead it. Stop saying the parish needs, like you're the parish. We are the parish. You're criticizing us, and that's okay. You can criticize us, but you don't get to criticize them. There's not a them and us at Our Lady of Lords. There's the priests, the staff, and the parishioners. It's us. We do this. And I think we have to return to that. Why is the parish not the local family? Why is it not the local community? Because we don't even give to the parish. So we don't care that you don't have enough volunteers for youth group. We don't care that you don't have enough volunteers for RCIA leading tables. We don't care about that because why? Because I give my money to this organization. I watch their videos instead of coming to the parish events. And I watch their stuff instead of coming to doing this. And I feel like I'm donating to them. So I don't need to donate or volunteer my time to the parish uh, ministries. It's not good. We need to switch that up. We need to change that and take this back. So I just want to encourage you, think about that. Pray about these things. However, you're giving your money, pray about it. Think about it. Is this really what's best? If you know people who are going to become missionaries, tell them, hey, I think that's great. I love that you're discerning that. You're considering that. Make sure that you're praying about your other options too, because it's not the only good thing you can go do. That's what you have to say. I'm not telling you to tell people, don't be missionaries. Fundraiser salary is evil. I'm not saying that. 
I'm just saying that we should encourage people to understand that they have options. There's different things you can do. There's lots of good things you can do with your life. This is one of them. Being a missionary can be one of them. But we should seek reform. You should think about the ways that you're going to be a missionary. If you are going to be one, how can you really sacrifice and offer that time up? And don't be a lifelong one. I just don't think it makes sense. I think that there's times for it. There's seasons for it. But those are just my thoughts, and I'm just a guy with a microphone. So thanks for tagging along. I appreciate you listening today. If you thought this was interesting or fun or stupid, please share it with somebody else that will also think it was fun, interesting, or stupid. Um, And once again, I encourage you to join us on Locals. If you think what I'm doing here is good, challenging the status quo, asking questions that a lot of people don't want to ask, saying things that a lot of people are afraid to say, I encourage you to become a supporter on Locals. Join in on my mission, and I will provide you with some great content. I just realized recently, I haven't shared this yet. I just compiled recently all of my writing that I have that's unreleased because I was like, I just wonder how many words I have. I have 90,000 words of written words that are unreleased. And so I'm working through those. I'm going to be getting somebody on board with me to help work through those, to edit them up and start putting them out as articles. And I'm going to be posting articles every week starting in September. Every Wednesday, there's going to be a new article come out. It's going to be just for supporters. So if you join, you'll get access to those. Every Thursday, I'm going to be doing live streams also going to be just for supporters. They're going to be released a whole like eight days after that. So they're going to be coming out later. Um, so you want to start getting on that so you can get access to those things. Um, the exclusive content, the only content. And then we're going to be doing some of the content too around uh, this book study we're going to be doing. And I'm telling you, you want to be a part of this book study because this book will change your life. And I'm going to be sharing ways that we can apply it to our current day, everyday lives. Don't forget to, um, to pray, read, exercise, Move your butt, learn something new, and talk to God. Be your best. God bless you. And know that I'm praying for you.